You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. What is it that makes someone a good friend? In your life, and your experience, what is it, what are the characteristics that make someone a good friend? As I was thinking about this this week, uh, I thought back to my first best friend relationship. Now, now maybe you can remember that person. Who was that person who was the, the first best friend that you have? For me, it was a guy named David Sanderson. And uh, it was when I was in second grade. We have moved to Ohio. And so I met uh, David and, and, and we began a friendship. And, and that what united us together in that friendship was our love for adventure. Right? We loved adventure. We had no lack of imagination. And so, man, we set out on so many adventures. We were convinced that we had discovered uh, a dinosaur bone in his parents' yard. And so we dug out this huge hole and, you know, what ended up being a giant rock. Uh, we, uh, when Cool Runnings came out, we decided we wanted to bobsled, and so we created a bobsled out of two dollies that were overturned, and uh, we went down his really steep driveway with a broomstick as a brake that was no match for that driveway. Uh, we, we would catch garter snakes. Uh, we would blow all kinds of things up with black cat fireworks. Uh, we loved having toy soldier wars uh, using his sister's hairspray and a lighter that we found in the drawer. Uh, I mean, we did all kinds of things. I, mean, I could go on and on with all the things that, that we did. And we got in a lot of trouble. But we never got in more trouble than the time that we decided to moon a police officer. Uh, and, and I will tell you that even as a child, that is a very serious offense. So don't do that. <laughs> when I think about that relationship and just how we were united together through the sense of adventure and, and all of the things that we did, uh, I think that, that for a lot of us, we, we experience childhood relationships and there's a simplicity there. Right? We're united together by things that are, that are fairly simple. But as we get older, relationships get more complex. And the things that, that unite us together are really a little bit different. And so I think that the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is as adults, what is it that, that makes a healthy relationship? Now, obviously, if we're going to have relationships and close friendships, there's an investment that we're going to make. We're going to invest our time. We're going to invest our emotions. We're going to invest our energy. And we've all had relationships that, that were unhealthy. We've all had relationships that were damaging and difficult. And so, and so how is it that we can set out to experience relationships that are, are healthy and that are life-giving? And this is what we're going to look at uh, from, from several passages across Scripture. This will be a little different this morning. We're going to look at several different passages. Uh, and I also am going to give some quotes from a book called Life Together uh, by a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer that I have found to be very helpful along this subject. And so my hope is that at the end of our time together, we'll have a clear picture of what God's design is for healthy relationships. So let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father, we're so thankful uh, for your grace. Father, we confess our need for your spirit. Uh, we, we pray that through this time that you would speak truth to our hearts through your word, and that you would give us uh, the ability to respond in obedience and faith. Mostly we pray that you would be glorified through this time. It's in Christ's name. Amen. We think about relationships. The reason that we are relational people, which we are, we are relational to the core. Uh, the reason that we are relational people is because we have been designed by a relational God. The Bible tells us that from the very beginning, God existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all united together in this perfect, loving relationship. And, and there is friendship at the very heart of God. 
And he has created us in his image. And so that relational DNA has been passed down to us. We see this in Genesis when we see God creating humanity. It says, let us make man in our image. Not let me make man in my image, but let us collectively make man in our image. And so that is is who we are at our very core. And then going on in Genesis, uh, we see God creating things. He creates, you know, the the plants. He creates the animals. He creates all these things. And he he keeps saying everything is good. And the first time we see that, that something is not good is for man to be alone. You see, God created Adam. And he created him with this need for relationships with someone like him, with, with another human, even though he had relationships with God, even though he had a relationship at some level with, with animals and, and he was entrusted to care for them, he, he still was missing something. He was lonely. And it wasn't that there was something wrong with Adam, but it was the way that God had created him with this need for relationship and there was something missing. Uh, right now, my son, Judson, is, is five, and he loves Legos. And so his favorite thing is to get these Lego kits uh, that you make, you know, the bat plane or, or whatever it is. And so he loves to get the instructions out and put all the pieces together. Well, his two-year-old brother also loves Legos. But the game that he likes to play is throw the Legos down the air vent. Judson is not a big fan of this game. And so what happens is, you know, you got these kits and all these pieces go together and then there's pieces missing. And, and so it's a, it's, a, it's a drama, right? Uh, there's something missing. And that's kind of what we see in the Bible. We see it in Adam and we see it in our lives. When, when we are lacking deep relationships, uh, it, it, there's something that's missing. There's a piece that's missing. And God made us this way, right? We can't escape it. And this, by the way, this is introverts and extroverts. I know there's some people who are like, man, I'm just introverted. You are still created for this need for deep relationship. You see, when God kind of connected the pieces at the beginning, when he, when he made Adam and then he, he created Eve for this relationship, at the beginning, things were perfect, right? Things were great. Uh, the Bible says that they were naked and they were unashamed. So there was this complete openness, this, this complete intimacy, but that didn't last for long. Because very quickly, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They rejected his commands, how he had called them to live. And as a result of that, sin entered into the world and sin entered into their relationship. And so what had been perfect, this perfect expression of intimacy and unity now became broken. And now they begin covering themselves up with leaves. They begin hiding from one another. And so you begin to see in relationships the entrance of insecurity, the entrance of, of fear, the entrance of, of brokenness. And that begin then, but it continues to this very day, right? Any relationship has this effect of sinfulness and brokenness. And we know this, right? Not just from the Bible, but from our own experience. We know the difficulty of relationships. I mean, friendships, especially ones that last a long period of time, are difficult. Marriage is difficult. No amens. Parenthood is difficult. Family relationship, I mean, every relationship, co-workers, they, there's a difficulty in our relationships. And the reason for this is because we all bring selfishness. We all bring brokenness. We all bring sin into the relationship. And when you have two people that bring this together, we, we can't connect in a healthy way. And so we experience difficulty. For so many people, this difficulty keeps us from actually engaging in true relationships. It's difficult. We've, we've experienced pain and, and difficulty in the past. And so what we decide is we're just going to keep shallow relationships, right? We're just going to set the bar really low and, and not engage 
in, in truly in-depth relationships. And so even the terminology that we use in our culture for friend, right, is so weak. Uh, you know, you think about a Facebook friend, right? I mean, how much depth is that? Like we connect over looking at each other's pictures and like watching cat videos and, you know, whatever it is that people do. Uh, it's just weak. And we see this uh, in 2009, Burger King launched an ad campaign. And the ad campaign was that if you would unfriend 10 people on Facebook, then they would send you a coupon for a Whopper. According to the New York Times, in the first week, 233,906 friendships were terminated. And so Burger King had to send coupons for 23,000 Whoppers. And obviously they, they shut the campa- campaign down. But I'm thinking, man, you know, if your friendship is less important than a Whopper, like something is wrong, right? That's a statement on the nature of our relationships, but it's just how things are. There, there's such a shallowness and, and the concept that a, that a friend could be ended uh, with, with a push of a button. Uh, another recent survey was done where they asked a group of people over the past six months, how many people have you discussed deeply important matter? And over half of the people who were surveyed So that over the past six months, they hadn't discussed anything truly deeply important with anyone outside of their family. You see, even though relationships are difficult and there's realities of sin and difficulty that we bring, we we must not settle for for shallow, lacking relationships, right? We we must not settle. We must engage and and dive into experiencing the relationships that God designed us for. You see, not only did God design us for them, but he has given us the power and, and he has made it possible for us to experience relationships specifically, specifically as followers of Christ. He has made it possible for, for us to overcome these difficulties and to experience relationships as he designed them. You see, even though sin came into the world and even though it marred and broke our relationships, God didn't leave us in this helpless place. He sent his son Jesus who came down, who lived a perfectly sinless, obedient life. And he lived it as our substitute. And then he went to the cross to take all of our brokenness and shame and sin upon himself. And the full wrath of God, the full punishment for our sin was poured out upon Jesus. And what he tells us now is that if anyone turns from their sin and trusts in him, he will forgive our sins and wipe us clean completely. But not only that, he will fill us with his spirit. And now he will begin living in us to make us more and more like him. This isn't just something that we're given as individuals. This is something that that happens corporately, that that we are united together through the spirit of God with with other Christians, with other people who are saved. And then the New Testament describes us in several ways. It describes us as a, a new people. It describes us as a new family. It describes us as a body where, where Jesus is the head, and we are all parts of this body. But we are united together, and in this context of the church, now through the power of the Spirit, we are able to experience these relationships. But it takes work. You see, God has given us the power through His Spirit. He's given us the plan through His Word but we still have to take steps of obedience. He has filled up the gas tank. He's given us the map, but he calls us to drive and follow the plan that he's given. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning is is this plan or these directions that God has given us through his word for how we can experience these healthy relationships. I want us to notice first that healthy relationships are built on frequency. 
And so the first characteristic of having these healthy relationships that God designed is, is we need to have frequent and consistent time with one another. We see this in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, God tells us not to, to neglect, not to miss out on the opportunity to gather together. Right? He recognizes that it is important for us to gather together regularly, both, both on a Sunday morning context and throughout the week on a regular basis. Uh, this is what we see in Acts chapter 2, the beginning of the church. They, they would meet together in gatherings like this in the temple to hear someone speak. And then throughout the week, they would meet from house to house to, to develop more in-depth relationships and to try to, to grow together. This has always been God's plan for his people, that we have this consistency, right? That we have this frequent time together. And this is how we develop healthy relationships. Now, you know this from experience. If you think about the people that you have been closest with in your life, it's, it's the people who you've spent consistent time with. Maybe it was, you know, friends in high school or, or friends, you know, in college in a, in a time when you had more, more just free time to be together. Or maybe, you know, it was an organization you're part of or a team. I think for a lot of us, some of the closest relationships are, are a result of being on a team with someone because you, you practice together every day and you're, you're playing games and, you know, often you're even traveling together. And when you have this consistent time with people, you're going to grow in, in the health and in the, the depth of these relationships. The other thing about being on a team is that you're counted on. Right? If you are coaching a team and you don't know which players are going to show up or who's going to play what position, you can't have an effective team. Right? It's not going to be successful. You have to know who's going to be counted on. You have to know who's going to be there. And when someone misses, they're missed. And that's the picture that we need to see as a church. Right? Is that there is this, this need for consistent uh, gathering together, the consistent time in relationships. And, and there, there needs to be a recognition that when we miss, we're missed. Right? There's something that is, is missing, that, that we, we need to be people who are, who are committed, who can be counted on. And so ultimately, this is, this is the first component of, of these relationships, of a healthy relationship, is that we have this, this consistency and frequency of gathering together. But notice next uh, that healthy relationships are built on authenticity. Now, Romans 12, 9 says, let love be genuine. Now, have you ever known someone who you've spent a lot of time with them, but, but honestly, you feel like you don't know them at all because they always have this like plastic smile on their face, right? They, they're always going around like everything's great. They, they say things like, I'm too blessed to be stressed, you know? And it just drives you nuts because you're like, that's not who you are, right? I know that. Like, you're not, you're not always up. That's just, that's just impossible, Right? And, and when, we, when we're around these people, we feel that. We, we feel like there's a lack of authenticity. But honestly, I think the church is one of the contexts where we can be most guilty of, of having these kind of fake, inauthentic relationships. Because we all feel this need to, to give this portrayal like we, we have it all together. Right? That, that everything's going well. That all our, uh, you know, all our ducks are in a row. That, that everything is in line and in place in our lives. And we're afraid to actually open up, to let people know about the things that, that we're struggling with, that we're dealing with, 
to let people know, you know, that we're struggling in our marriage, or let people know that we're struggling in our parenting, that, that, we're, that we're struggling dealing with a loss in, in so many other ways. Because we, we are so concerned that if we admit that, if we, if we tell other people that they'll lose respect for us, or that they'll tell other people what's, what we shared with them, or that we'll be defined as like these needy people, and, and we just, we can't take it. And so we sacrifice true friendships and relationships for the mirage of being impressive. But it's a terrible sacrifice, because we're, what we're left with is our loneliness and our struggle and our brokenness. And what we're missing out on is the blessing that God has given us in relationships with other people. Uh, and, and ultimately, a, a book, uh, the book Life Together by Bonhoeffer has a quote that I think is helpful here. It says, it may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship, common prayer, and all their fellowship and service may still be left to their loneliness. The final breakthrough of fellowship does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone with our sin, living lies and hypocrisy. And this, just, this quote just, just hits me because so often we live lives, we remain hypocrisy, we, we remain living lies, we, we remain living brokenness and struggling because we're aren't, we aren't willing to give up the false image of having it all together. And because of this, we miss the beauty of, of fellowship and friendship that God has offered us. My boys right now uh, love superheroes and they love to dress up like superheroes. They have weapons, they have costumes, and they have masks. And one of the things that they love uh, is when my wife Jill and I uh, will wear the masks as well. And so if you had like a camera into our living room, which that would be really weird, but if you did, you would see that there's time where all four of us are, are wearing these masks, right? It's like the crazy things that you do to entertain your kids. And there will be times when Jill and I will like catch sight of ourselves wearing these masks and we will just crack up, like because we look absolutely ridiculous, you know, wearing these like Ninja Turtle masks or something. It's, it's crazy. And I was thinking about it, I was like, man, so often that, that's kind of how we operate, though, is, is we, we're wearing these masks, like we're presenting like we have it on, and we're, we're wearing them with one another, and, and, and it's like, man, if we could just step back and see ourselves, we look so ridiculous. Like, like we look so silly, but it's not, it's not just funny, it's tragic, because so often, man, we're just dying inside. We, we have this ache. To, to open up with someone, to really talk about what's really going on in our lives, to have someone actually listen to us, to have someone encourage us, to have someone help us. But we're not willing to put down the mask. I think that, that ultimately is, is a tragedy because we think that the cost of giving up our image and the discomfort that it might bring is too high. You see, this is not how God designed us to experience relationships. We saw in the garden, he designed relationships to have an intimacy, to have an openness, to have a transparency. And when we miss out on them, when we don't live like this, we, we miss out on the medicine for our souls that God has provided through relationships with one another. 
Notice next, not only are healthy relationships built on authenticity, but next, healthy relationships are built on accountability. One of the reasons that it's so important for us to, to be willing to open up to other people, right? To have people in our lives that we're actually willing to be, uh, to be honest with and, and authentic in our relationship is because we need other people to hold us accountable. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leaving you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another or encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, if, if you have, have really tried to follow Jesus, if you have really tried to live a life of, of obedience to Christ and, and following him, you know it's incredibly difficult. In fact, Scripture describes it as a battle. It says that we are in a warfare on a daily basis against sin, against temptation, against struggles and, 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 and the realities of this, this darkness that are around us. And this is something that we engage on on a daily basis if we are seeking to follow Christ. But while it's difficult, God has given us two resources to be, in a, to be able to engage in this battle. The first is the Holy Spirit, as we've talked about. He, he gives us the, His Spirit to come and live inside of us. And, and what happens is, is when the Spirit of God is in us, it breaks the unbreakable bondage that we naturally have to sin. Without the Spirit, it's impossible to even engage in the battle. We are, we are helplessly in bondage to the power of Satan and sin. But through the Spirit, we're set free from that, and we're able to even engage the battle. But the next thing that He gives us beyond that is one another. It is relationships with one another to encourage us, to, to challenge us, to be able to engage in this battle at all. You see, we're all susceptible to unbelief. We're, we're all susceptible to have unbelief inside of our hearts that leads us to walk away from God, that leads us to walk towards sin. And that's why we need one another, as, as Hebrews says, to encourage and to exhort one another specifically to not fall into sin, to not give into sin. Now, one of my favorite uh, movie series uh, is the Rocky series. And so I, I really like watching Rocky movies. And, and one of the, the, the Rocky movies, which got mixed reviews, but is uh, Rocky IV. And so in Rocky IV, uh, Rocky is, is fighting Ivan Drago. And, and this is a Russian. And uh, long his, his friend, Apollo Creed, had fought Ivan earlier in the movie, and, and, and Ivan had actually killed uh, Apollo. And so now this is like revenge. So he's in Russia fighting Ivan. And, and honestly, for the beginning of the fight, I mean, he has been getting knocked around, right? Like Ivan is just kind of having his way. But, but towards the end, Rocky starts coming back and, and it's the final round and Rocky's out there and he's, you know, he's, he's doing well. And, and all of a sudden Ivan comes with a right cross and I mean, just nails him, just rings his bell. And so he's like stumbling and he's, he's stunned and, he, and it looks like he's about to fall down. And his trainer, Duke, is over in the quarter, and he starts yelling, don't go down, don't go down, don't go down. And it's Rocky kind of like, comes out of the slumber, he comes back, you know, he's ready to fight. I thought, man, that's a picture of what friends who are in Christ should look like. When they see us, like falling into sin and, and walking into destructive places, they, they should, you know, Yell, don't go down into sin. Don't give in to this. Don't fall into this. Look, you're going to destroy yourself. You're going to destroy your family. What are you? Do not do this. 
Right? We need people in our corner who are willing to do that for us. The reason so often that we don't do this for one another is because we're afraid of how the person would respond to us. Right? We're afraid that if we actually do this, that the person would, would think that we're judgmental, or the person would think that we're hypocrites, or that we're harsh or, or unkind. Right? And so often that, that keeps us from actually taking the step that would help them. And this is where, once again, Bonhoeffer offers a helpful perspective. He says, nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. You see, it's counterintuitive, but the most loving thing that we can do for a friend or a person who's directly connected with us that we see engaging in sin is to confront it, to, to, to speak to it. Now, we can't ensure how they'll respond, right? We, we cannot ensure how they will respond to us, but, but, but it is the most loving course of action to take. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Now, given the choice between wounds and kisses, we're typically going to choose kisses, right? That's a little more pleasant experience. But what Scripture would tell us is that the wounds of a friend, right, the words of a friend that may jar us, that may upset us, that, that, that may bother us, are actually what we need. They're what we need in our lives. We need friends who are not going to ignore sin, right, but are going to faithfully wound us, ultimately in order to save us. You see, we cannot ignore ongoing sin in the church, in our lives. We, we can't do this. Todd uh, spoke last week about Matthew 18 and the command of church discipline, that when you see someone in sin, you, you go to them alone and confront them. And if they don't repent, you take another person with you, and then you continue along until you take it to the church. And you see, we can't, we can't just ignore Jesus' words, because he tells us this is the most loving course of action that we can take. And so my encouragement to you is if you don't have anybody in your life who's willing to do that or who knows you at that level, that you find a few people that you give a hunting license to hunt sin in your life. You say you have permission to, to hunt sin, that you see blind spots, that you see things that you see in my life that are dangerous and destructive and sinful. And when they do, right, when they come to you, fight the urge to bow up and push back and recognize these as faithful wounds of a friend, as an expression of the grace of God. Healthy relationships are built on accountability. But notice next that healthy relationships are built on confidentiality. Uh, whether, whether we think about it or not, we spend most of our lives trying to build a certain reputation. And we are very intentional and careful about protecting that reputation to others. And so when I talk about these things, about, you know, sharing things with one another and having this accountability and opening up about difficulties and darkness in our life, honestly, it sounds insane, right? It sounds like going against everything that we spend our life trying to do because we're concerned, okay, that person, you know, will take this and all of a sudden it'll become a prayer request, you know, that they share with someone else. Maybe you've had that happen or, or, or they'll change the way that they think about us. But you see, ultimately... Right? The reality is, is that, that we must have relationships where, where we trust that there's confidentiality, right? That, that, that we're able to, to speak about these things because we know that, that there is there's confidentiality in that relationship. Um, I think, you know, when we, when we consider 
the reality of, of gossip, it's, it's something that doesn't seem like a big deal, right? Whether we, we share information with people who don't need to know it, or we, we listen to information that we don't need to know, it, it kind of seems harmless, like it's interesting, right? It makes us feel important. We have, we have things to talk about. But the Bible is, is very clear to say that it is, it is wicked, that it is destructive, that it, that it destroys lives, it destroys families, it will destroy churches, right? Gossip is incredibly dangerous. Proverbs 2019 says, he, goes ab- he who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. It says, don't even have a relationship with someone who gossips. So, so what this means is if we have someone in our lives and, and we know they're always telling us, man, you're not going to believe what I heard about this person, or they're talking about other people's business or things that other people shared with them and, and confidence they're telling you, man, that, there should be an alarm going off inside of you, right? This is dangerous. This is not okay. I cannot have a relationship with a person who engages in, in gossip. And ultimately, you know, uh, you know you've, you've heard the phrase, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. But here's the deal. If, if your friends are people who, who talk about other people's business with you, or, or, if, or if your time together with friends is all talking about one another, I will show you your future, right? You will end up being talked about. Your life will be drug out. Your junk will be talked about in their gossip sessions with other people. I can assure you that will be your future. And so when we come into situations where gossip is taking place, which we all experience, you have two buckets. You have two choices, right? One bucket is a bucket of gasoline. The other is a bucket of water. You can choose the bucket of gasoline by engaging that conversation, by talking about it, by sharing that with other people. When you do that, you are taking a bucket of gasoline, you're dumping that on that fire, and, it, and the flames will erupt and continue to spread. Or you can choose the bucket of water, right? You can shut down the conversation. You can direct that person to go to the person they're talking about or someone who can actually do something about it and pour water on that situation. But let me tell you, if you choose the bucket of gasoline, you will not escape the destruction of the fire, right? It, 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 it will come back to, to affect you. If that's the, the relationships you're part of, ultimately, you will experience the destruction. So be guarded with things others share with you. Be a steel trap, not a colander, right? And be careful about the relationships that you have and the kind of conversations that are part of those. So not only are are healthy relationships built on confidentiality, but notice, uh, fifth and finally, healthy relationships are built on love. And really, love, true love, encompasses all the other things that we've talked about up to this point. If if you have love in a relationship, you will do all of the things that that we've been talking about. Now, when you hear me say, a healthy relationship and built on love, that kind of sounds soft and like generic, like, you know, the Beatles, all you need is love. It's like, okay, what does that even mean, really? And this is where, as Christians, we have a unique perspective on what love is, right? Christ has has given us a very specific understanding of what it means to be loving. Because ultimately, he says that love is not just warm fuzzies that you feel, right? Love is not an emotion that you experience, but it's an expression that you show. Love Love is active, right? And we see this in God's love towards us. 1 John 4 says... Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, 
that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. God has loved us in an active way, right? He, he has shown us his love by sending his son to come down to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be restored to a loving relationship with God as our father. And if we have experienced that, I, my, my fear is that, that so many people never really understand God's love for them. So many people live with so many doubts and concerns that they never understand the greatness of God's love for them. Right? God loves you. When you consider even your love for your children or family members, God loves you 10 billion times more than that. And he has shown you that love through Christ, and he wants to pour that love into your heart. He calls us to receive that. And if you understand, if you understand the inconceivable greatness and graciousness that, of the love that God has for you, and that is poured out into your heart through the Spirit, you can't contain that, right? It naturally will overflow into your love for others. It naturally will be, will be expressed towards those around you, and it will, it will be expressed in ways that are Christ-like, in ways that are active, in ways that are, that are generous, in ways that are costly, in ways that are sacrificial and selfless. You see, this kind of love towards one another is what Jesus said should mark his followers. Like, this should be the thing that people think of when they think about followers of Christ. John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, so often, that's not what Christians are known for, right? Churches and and experiences that you've had with other Christians, we're, we're known for division and backbiting and, and all of these things, but that should not be the case. When, when people think about Christians, Jesus says, what I want them to think about is the love that they have that is unnatural, that is unlike the love that we see in other contexts. And when we experience this, when we, when we express this, this spirit-filled Christ-like love, the result will be unity. Right? That's the result, is, is we will be unified. And when Jesus prays for us, by the way, in John 17, we see Jesus' prayer for us. He prays for all of those in the future who will be his followers. So for us sitting in this room today, Jesus prays for us. And you know what the prayer request that he has for us? It says that they may be, all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus says when we experience these, these healthy, loving relationships, there is this oneness, there's this unity that results. And that's the bottom line of this sermon is that unity flows out of these healthy relationships. And that's not just a unity so that we can like hold hands and sing kumbaya and get warm fuzzies, right? This is unity that's, that's purposeful. It's unity that, that has a mission to it because when the world around us sees the unity that we have, it should cause them to recognize that something is different about us. When they see how different we are from one another, when they see that naturally we wouldn't experience these loving relationships, that naturally we wouldn't just click, but that what we have in common through Christ is greater than our differences. When they see that, it should lead them to ask, why do they love each other like this? And the response that we have to give is Jesus. 
And so as we live in this loving unity, others see that. And they come to faith in Christ because they see that it's not just something we talk about, but it's something that changes us. And so there is a mission, there is a purpose to our unity. So I was thinking about this this week. Uh, I saw a news story. Uh, maybe many of you all saw it as well. In Panama City Beach, there was a family who was, who was out in the ocean, and there were two boys who were out furthest, and a riptide began to pull them out away from the shore. And they started screaming and yelling, and so their mom went to try to rescue them, and she got pulled out as well. And then the grandmother came over, and she was trying to help, and she got pulled into the riptide. So when people on the beach saw this, this screaming, that they saw what was happening, they began to form a human chain. And so starting on the beach, they would hold hands from one person to the next. And as it began to grow, all these people all over the beach, you know, didn't know each other at all. They began to come together. They would link hands and leak hands. And ultimately, this human chain was over 80 people. And they went all the way out into the water. They were able to reach this family that was getting swept away in the riptide. They were able to rescue them, bring them back on to the shore to safety. When I saw that, I was like, man, that's a picture of what the church should be. Of people who are different and diverse, who don't necessarily have a lot in common, but we're united by a common mission. We're united by a common purpose. And that's to see people saved. To see people come to faith in Christ. And as we experience that unity in mission, We begin to grow together on our relationships with one another. We begin to grow together in our relationship with Christ. And ultimately, God will use us for his purpose to reach people who are lost and dying far from him. You see, my prayer this morning is that we would be people who don't settle for isolated lives and shallow relationships. But that we would recognize that God is a relational, loving God who has made us in his image. And he's made us to experience relationships so that we will flourish, so that we will find joy. And he has designed those relationships to be experienced in a certain way. They're to be built on frequency, authenticity, accountability, confidentiality, and ultimately on unifying love. And that's what we want to see as a church. Right? We want to help you experience that. We, we recognize that, that in a church of this size, it's, it's easy for people to be ninja Christians, right? To come in and out without being noticed. And we want to, as much as we can, to encourage you to not live like that, right? And that's why we're, we're so passionate about small groups. When you, when you hear us talk about the vision of Foothills Church, it's to develop mature disciples of Christ in relational environments, right? Those are small groups of six to 18 people who meet in homes throughout the week, to grow together in their relationship and, and to grow together as followers of Christ. And so if you're not in a small group, we, we would encourage you to take that step. In, in one month from today, we're going to have our small group connect, and you'll have the opportunity uh, to meet some of our group leaders and, and to find a group to connect with. But as we're going through this Count On Me series, uh, one of our major purposes through all of this is at the end of this series, we're asking all of our partners at Foothills Church to recommit to their partnership agreement. And so there's certain things that we're going through that these are the commitments you make as a partner of Foothills Church. And one of those commitments is being part of a small group. And so we're going to ask, you know, at the end of this, as you recommit to being a partner, that that one of those commitments you make is, is joining a group so that you can experience these relationships 
as God has designed them. And ultimately, so that you can be a person who we can count on, a person who others can count on, and ultimately a person who God can count on to be part of these relationships as he's designed them. So that's our prayer throughout this series. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you have given us the gift of relationships with one another. God, we, we are so thankful for the joy and the life and the flourishing that is available through relationships. And we are so thankful that we have the one thing that allows us to experience relationships unlike anyone else, and that's the Spirit of Christ living in us. We recognize that you have united us together with one another. You've given us one another as a gift. And Father, we confess that so often we allow selfishness, we allow the difficulty, we allow busyness, and so many things keep us from the relationships that you have designed for us. And so, Father, my prayer is that we all would would recognize areas where that's true in our lives, that we would take the step to experience the relationships that you have designed for us. And ultimately, that this would not just be uh, something that we enjoy, but these relationships would would be purposeful. Father, that we would grow closer to you as a result of them and that we would lead those who are far from you to know you because of the relationships that we see and that ultimately through that they would experience a relationship with Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.